0: Hello, how you doing? Hope you're feeling saucy and creative. Of course, it's me, your host Lauren Lagrasso, and I'm here with another creative check-in. And today's check-in is all about my music video for my debut single, which is going to be dropping on November 8th, "Road to Glory." I filmed it on Saturday, and it was overall just such an amazing experience. And there were some, you know. Little uh, things that went wrong along the way. I I realized there's a few things that were really interesting from this experience. One of them was I realized what a control freak I've become. I think that's partially due to the fact that I've often been in jobs when I'm the only one responsible for everything. And it's like, if I don't make sure that everything's going right, nothing will. And I think another thing is, because I have been hyper vigilant like that, I do tend to notice things that other people don't notice. But sometimes when you are the kind of person who's like, and I'm not type A in real life, I'm not type A, but I've trained myself to be type A in certain situations. So when you are the type of person that's either naturally type A or has trained themselves to be type A in order to get shit done, and you're the one that is having a big moment, you need to learn to relax. I didn't fully do that this weekend But just a note to self that next time I'm in that scenario, I think I'll delegate that responsibility to someone else, you know, just like bring another hypervigilant person on set because I didn't get to experience the moment as much as I would have liked to, at least in the beginning part of the day, because I was trying to micromanage everything. But with that being said, we definitely got what we needed. My director is such a genius when it comes to visuals, and I cannot wait To share it with you. It was such a momentous occasion, and I had so many amazing friends. I had like six or seven friends who came out there to either act, or my friend Juliette came to take pictures and just support me, and it was so wonderful. And, you know, it was really like the culmination of four and a half years of work in one day. I liken those big creative moments in our lives to a wedding, definitely a wedding. I mean, like, a birth of a child. It's not as big as a birth of a child, obviously, but it is like you're birthing this creative baby out, right? And to have people show up and support you, it honestly means the world. And there was one other really interesting thing that happened from the filming on Saturday. And that was, you know, a lot of times when I have those experiences, like I'm just so grateful to be there. I'm overwhelmed by emotion. And I absolutely was so grateful to be there. But there was something interesting that happened where it was like almost a flip. Like the the gratitude I felt in the past has almost been like, it's almost like it came from a place of unworthiness. Like I felt like I didn't deserve to be there. And I was so grateful to be there because I never thought it would happen to a girl like me. And it was almost like on Saturday, I finally stepped into my power and my worth and realized I've worked really hard for this. I've been singing since I was three. I did my first musical when I was four. I did talent shows all through elementary school. I've taken voice lessons since I was 14. I studied theater in college. I've been out here hustling for eight years. It's about damn time. And this is my moment. And I'm stepping into that and I'm owning it. So if you've been working your whole life for something and you finally arrive at a moment, I mean, obviously be grateful for the opportunity to have the resources and the talent and the network to be able to bring your creative joy to light, but also realize if you deserve to be there. And it was cool and it was a good feeling because I I think I was less emotional because I know things like this are going to start happening a lot more and I'm finally getting there. And I really, I swear to you, this podcast has had a lot to do with it. This network, the support system, stepping forward in this way, bringing my voice out into the world, talking to all these amazing creatives, both on the show and online. Like I cannot even tell you how much you inspire me. I brag about my listeners all the time. and Every single day, I see a new person on the Instagram page or mostly on the Instagram page. I got to build out the, the other ones a little bit more, but on the Instagram page, I'm just literally in awe of. And I just want to thank you for inspiring me so much. I feel good things are going to happen for all of us in the coming months. And I appreciate your support. Let me know what I can do to support you. And just remember, if you're finally getting to step into the spotlight after a long time, kind of hanging in the shadows, it's okay if you feel like you deserve to be there. Because you do. Okay, now to the guest. My guest today is Latoya D., also known as the Analog Girl. She's an anxiety awareness advocate, podcaster, and singer, best known for her show, Analog Girl Podcast, and for her Instagram page at the.analoggirl. Latoya has been in touch with her creativity since she was a small child. Growing up as a preacher's daughter, she often found herself singing in church. When she became an adult, she started pursuing her dream of becoming a professional singer with everything she had. But eventually, She grew weary with the constant rejection and lack of stability the career offered. She also battled with anxiety, which later turned into a scary case of depersonalization, also known as DP. However, it was in working through the DP and the physical, mental, and sexual abuse she endured in her youth that she finally began to discover her life's true purpose and the through-line of all her experiences. She found her meaning in life is to bring connection and help other people find their way to live fulfilled lives. It was also through cultivating her mental health that she started the Analog Girl podcast, which is a health and wellness podcast with topics curated for anxiety management, mental health awareness, self-help, and personal growth. She's created an amazing community and I'm actually a part of it. I love her podcast. I wanted to share LaToya with you because she has deep insight on the connection between mental health and creativity. Hint, without practicing good mental hygiene, it's nearly impossible to cultivate a creative life. It's a must. From our conversation, you'll learn manifestation techniques, how to make mantras work for you, how to figure out your anxiety code, how to redefine your relationship with spirituality and religion, figure out your life's purpose, and deal with the discomfort of being in between. Generations, in between jobs, in between experiences, whatever it is, Latoya is an expert on the in betweenness of it all. Also, please note since my guest is in New York and I'm in LA, we had to do it through a program called Zencaster, and sometimes it sounds a little funky, but overall, it's still pretty great, and I just wanted to bring you in the loop so it wasn't a surprise. All right, now here she is, Latoya D, a.k.a. Analog Girl. Analog Girl, that's the name of your podcast. That's your brand. Where does that name come from and why did you choose it?
1: the definition of analog is kind of like just it's not digital basically <laughs> for people out there for the younger folks. But analog is for me, it means going back to my foundation. Uh it means going back to my roots. And when I started to suffer with anxiety, I realized I had to go back to who I was as a child, who what my personality was, and go back and heal those traumas, and that's like got, kind of going back into the analog lifestyle. Like I was, I'm on the cusp. I'm one of those cuspy uh, millennials who had <laughs> grew up analog, but uh, spent the rest of their their teens and their twenties and in, um, going into the digital world. And you know, the digital world is pretty fast paced, and we didn't have, you know, I didn't grow up with Instagram like a lot of people are, and that's where I got the idea to call myself the analog little girl, because I always want to be rooted and grounded in who I was before so that I can be able to live in this fast paced digital world.
0: So, I mean, I think that that's so profound because there has been a massive uptick and anxiety since the dawn of the digital era. And it feels like it keeps getting deeper and deeper and worse and worse. And it's so hard to detach yourself from Whatever I mean, we can literally hold a computer in our hands, right? Like this is beyond anything that humans ever comprehended. And so, how do you approach being an analog human being in this digital world, dealing with mental health, and trying to sustain some some semblance of peace and happiness?
1: Uh, great question because it's 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 very hard <laughs> to do, <Yeah>. um, <laughs> especially for. Um, us young folks out here when we're, you know, living on our own and trying to pay bills and just trying to achieve the American dream, but what I've found is that anxiety has been around for a very, very long time. Um, I think now we're just pushing it to the forefront a lot and where a lot of us are becoming very vocal about it, which is a great thing. And what I I think what's helping me is the fact that I'm just out here advocating for it and talking about it and processing with people and releasing myself of the embarrassment and the shame of it. So that has been one of the things that has been essential in my recovery and essential in me being able to get through it is being able to talk about it um, and being able to process it and and not feeling
0: embarrassed about it. Shame is such a treacherous thing in our lives. And I think it holds us back from so much good. And I'm curious like what exactly has been your approach to get at the heart of shame and to like admit what you're ashamed of because I think when we can't admit that like there's been so many things in my life that have held me captive because I couldn't name them. Mm. How did you start to name the things that were feeling shameful to you?
1: Well, I can't take all the credit. One is because of deep prayer, a deep prayer life. Um and I also therapy, girl. I was on the couch. <laughs> like I was legit on the couch. Every week in and day in day out working on myself and and getting to the bottom of where this shame rooted from for me um, and for me that came from years of trauma and domestic abuse um, and within my family and um, years of sexual abuse so I had to get to the bottom of that and why I had this I guess it was a burden uh, on me of, of shame, of just feeling shame in anything that I was doing. And if I failed or whatever, it could be anything. I could, I could be outside and trip and... People see me trip and all of a sudden this whole wave of shame would come on me. It was so weird. And I got to the bottom of that through, like I said, with the prayer and the therapy and realizing that there was a young little girl who was me that had been traumatized. And I had to go back and heal that little girl and figure out the best coping skills for myself to move forward.
0: So I'm a huge therapy person as well. It's totally changed my life and made everything so much better, but like, Personally, coming from Italian culture, it's, um, it's very shameful to even like think about getting into therapy. Like if you're going into therapy, you're, I don't like this word, but like people would use it, crazy. So there's a lot of cultural barriers just to overcome in order to get through the door. Did you experience any of that when it came to your own healing process? And if so, how did you overcome it to get through and start that?
1: I absolutely did because, you know, growing up I um I didn't I had a good childhood. I'm one of those kids that had a good childhood, but then there was also bad stuff going on. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's like good people doing bad things kind of thing. Um you know, long story. I'm not gonna go into that whole Because we could be here for days talking about this. But I started out doing therapy when I was a teenager. And I specifically remember once the questions started getting really deep, especially for my father, we had to stop. Mm. And and we've done it, and we we did it maybe two or three times, and we had to stop the, the therapy. So I, growing up, I was thinking like therapy wasn't good or therapy wasn't effective because you know my parents my parents grew up thinking that this wasn't helpful for us. And then you know the older I got, I just realized like I know I need to sit down and talk with someone. <laughs> like this is there's no shame in this, um, and also the whole. The, pro- the perspective for me was no one even has to know I'm going to the therapy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so this can be a whole, a secret with myself. This can be, um, just between myself and my therapist and no one has to even know. So that's kind of how I approached it in the very beginning. Like I didn't share with anyone that I was going to therapy yet. I wasn't open about it because of the growing up feeling like therapy was ineffective, and growing up feeling like it was an embarrassment or you're crazy or you belong in a psych ward. So I kind of just Kept it to myself, but then I, in realizing it, I was like, This is a decision for me, this is a personal choice, it has nothing to do with anybody else. And I started to confide in myself and have compassion for myself when I was going to therapy, and that's what got me on the trail of feeling like this is empowering, you know. And it changed, it flipped from embarrassment and crazy to this is empowering, and I started to feel great after my sessions, and that's how I pretty much got. Through it, and that's how I attacked the feelings
0: of this is for crazy people, kind of thing. That's such a good tip. You know, it's weird. I didn't even think about it, but I did the same thing. I have had. Two therapists. Like my first one was what I call my starter therapist. She was great to just like get the conversation going. And then I found my therapist like forever partner. Mm -hmm. And um, that's Jessica. She's the best. But the first time I did it, I was still dealing with all of that shame and anxiety surrounding even being in therapy. And so – I did keep it to myself as well. Like I only told like a handful of really close friends that I knew wouldn't judge me for it. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I do have to say, like people like you going out into society and claiming how therapy has helped them really helped me finally become confident with saying, hey, I went to therapy and I was better for it. And I'm curious, like how did you go from like feeling like you didn't want to tell anyone about it to knowing that this was your story that you had to share in order to help others?
1: Well, what happened with me was something really dramatic. So I started to suffer with a symptom of anxiety called depersonalization, or in the community, they call it DPDR. So there's depersonalization or derealization. And that's something where either people who suffer with panic attacks, um, their brain goes into fight or flight mode or there's really high anxiety. It can come from people who have like trauma in their life, like such as grief and death, sudden deaths. It can cause you to go into this, depersonalized existence where you feel like things are dreamlike. You feel like um, your body, you're not connected with your body. It's just, it's a form of disassociation and detachment from your body and also your environment. So I started to go through that. And that's when I was like, oh no, I cannot keep this to myself because I was literally in my head so much thinking that, it was so crazy that I even thought that I would, might have died and I was in like a purgatory. Like it was very strange like that. So there was no way for me to even keep that to myself anymore. And at that point, I was like, I don't care about shame. I don't care about embarrassment. I just want to get back to being normal. Who can I talk to that's going to help me to be normal? You know, so I started to share with my mom and, you know, my mom is very spiritual. I'm a pastor's kid. I'm a preacher's kid or rather, whatever you want to call PK. And so she's (laughs) got a very strong church life and a very strong prayer life. So I was confiding in her. But as far as like talking to some of my peers, some of them were looking at me like, girl, it looked like I almost had morphed into an alien in in front of them to some of them. Like they were just looking at me like, I don't know what you're talking about. But I still felt like I had to talk about it because the more... I, I kept wanting to engage with people because I wanted to feel normal again and I wanted to be reconnected again. So I think the more I started to keep sharing and sharing is the more I started to feel connected. So that's why I decided to start talking about it. And that's what got me, it was a dramatic thing, I would say, for me to get through the shame and the embarrassment because I want so bad to get back to normal and to heal from the depersonalization.
0: That's a really profound statement, though, that just by talking about it and putting it out there and engaging in what ended up being one of your creative outlets, which is Mm -hmm. your amazing podcast, you really helped yourself heal from this thing. And by holding in our truth, we can't ever fully heal.
1: No, absolutely. And the more you hold in your truth and the more you suppress the more anxiety comes, the more depression comes, the more loneliness comes. Um, and even if you can even if you got to just sit in your house and talk to yourself, you know, and start to journal and just write your feelings out, those are things that I was doing because I live alone and I spent a lot of time alone. So I was I had to start doing things in my home that were outlets, which was the podcast, which was writing in my journal, which was starting to go to the gym. It was just a lot of things that I had to start pushing myself to do, even though I was alone that, that these activities, I didn't necessarily feel alone in, if that makes any sense.
0: I mean, total sense. You know, you talk about healing from depersonalization and I'm curious, like, I know you did therapy and obviously the podcast, but what did the actual process of that look like? And how did you know when you're out of it?
1: That's two part, two folds. Okay. I'm a hundred percent healed. I'm like, <laughs> how do I explain this? Because it's just such a confusing thing. Um, <laughs> So you're saying, so again, you're asking, how did I know I was in it? And how did I know I was healed and come out of it? Yeah. yeah. Like, how did
0: you know, like, today I'm in depersonalization and the next day I'm out? Like, what was the turning point?
1: March 1st, 2018, I woke up and I was like, this feels, I felt weird. I felt, I felt like I was still dreaming. It was like I was awake, but I was still asleep. So I was like, okay, maybe I'm just tired. Um, You know, maybe I had, I had a drink last night. Maybe I just feel a little off. And then, like, throughout the day, I was like talking to my mom on the phone. I was like, maybe my iron's low, mom, but I'm just feeling like unreal. Like, this feels, I feel like I'm dreaming, you know, I feel floaty. And I remember my mom saying that um, she had got that feeling before when her iron was really low. So I was like, maybe my iron's low. So I, you know, just chalked it up to that. And then day one, day two came, day three came, day four, and it was still the same thing. And then I started to panic more um, and heighten the anxiety and it caused the DP to worsen. And giving me the feelings of derealization as well, where my outer surroundings started to feel unreal, and I was super. It was like I was. It was like a movie pane in front of me, or 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 glass pane in front of me, and I couldn't like I couldn't touch outside. That's how I felt. So that was the feeling that I felt, and how I knew I was coming out of it was once the thoughts started to dissipate, and how I was able to do that was because I was doing a lot of setting routines for myself. Um, I figured out the code to um, lowering anxiety. And I was like, well, I'm going to do to lowering my anxiety because everybody's got a different way of lowering their anxiety. I found out what the code was for me personally and how I can lower my anxiety. So I stuck to that and I made it my business to week day in, day out, figure out how I'm going to continue to lower my anxiety. That consisted of stop the relationship I was in because that was causing me a whole lot of anxiety. Um, I stopped drinking at the time. I started to exercise. I created routines for myself, daily prayer, daily meditation. So I started to do those things and I started to reintegrate myself with my friends and i went on a trip to the essence festival i was doing those type of things like just I, and i was feeling dis, i was feeling d- detached and disassociated even through that even on my trip with my girlfriends i was feeling a little detached but i will always tell myself i know that i can get through this this is just a sensation it's just you know this is just a process that i'm going through i'm in the recovery process so those are the things i kept telling myself um, and then eventually, those the the ruminating thoughts and the intrusive thoughts started to dissipate, and it and it went away. And I will say, it's not like you just wake up one day and say, "Oh my gosh, this is gone." It was a gradual thing, you know. It was a gradual thing, and I just gradually started to get re- my body and everything, and my mind, body, and soul just started to reintegrate again back with the environment. So it was just a gradual thing, and. I would say now that I'm 100% recovered, there are days where I might be a little stressed out or my anxiety gets a little high and I might have a relapse and I'll feel a little disconnected. Like two days ago, I was like, hmm, I feel a little disconnected, but I don't panic anymore because I know exactly what it is and I know how to I know how to combat it, you know? And so that's why I would say I'm 100% recovered, even though sometimes it does relapse and it comes back a little bit.
0: Right, because you have the tools now and you know what you're dealing with. I think the scariest thing of any sort of mental health battle or anything in life in general that you're going through is not having the words for what you're going through. Right.
1: And especially with depersonalization, because you have no idea what is going on, and you're absolutely scared to tell people because I was going to the emergency room. I had them do a CAT scan on me, I had them do like 15 EKGs on me. They were like, miss, you are. Are fine, you are a healthy woman. Then one of the ladies was like, This is anxiety. And I was like, There's no way this can be anxiety because at that time, all I thought anxiety was was a little nervousness, you know, a little shaking. <laughs> like, I was like, This cannot be anxiety. And they even had me do a whole psych eval. And I was like, There's no reason why I should be in here. I need to get another CAT scan. There's something wrong. Maybe I'm having a stroke. I was just all over the place. And I just, you know, going through all of that, I was like, wow, I'm going to go home and I'm going to Google and then come to find out there's a whole community out there of people who had no clue what was going on and were doing the same thing, going to, running up them Dr. Bills, because I got Dr. pills i Dr. Bills, from mm. trying to figure out what was going on because even doctors were looking like, we have no idea. And it was just a nurse who told me like, girl, I've seen this before. This is Anxiety, you know what I mean? Like she was like, "This is anxiety." So, and once she said that, that's when I started to go home and Google like, "Well, anxiety, dream-like feelings," and I started to see all of this stuff come up. And there's forums out there of people who have been in this situation or in or feeling the DP sensations for years and never ever coming out of it or never ever figuring out how they can change the cycle. So that was just my journey uh, and and figuring it out. But there's so many people out there who cannot put a name to what they're going through. And it's just a horrible, bizarre feeling from anxiety.
0: I'm so glad you figured it out. I mean, mm-hmm. really, it is the power of taking your health into your own hands. Mm-hmm. And I love that you talked about finding your anxiety code, like what what you can do to basically keep the beast from emerging. (laughs) I wonder like what would be your tips for somebody who is dealing with anxiety or any other mental health battle out there and how can they find basically like their own code, their own version of the anxiety code, how they can keep themselves in check and give themselves the best opportunity to not
1: panic you know from a spiritual level and i always deal with whatever you believe in if it's god if it's universe it's whomever whatever we all have a body we all have a soul and we all have a spirit so there there, there is something out there there is a greater human uh greater not human a greater being out there um so whatever it is that we believe in i think that that's one that is the the foundation that we need to start with And that is what I started with. And so again, I'm only speaking for what works for me, (laughs) you know what I mean? But I know that it might work for other people if they feel the same way, but I started with that. So I also, I started to use scriptures and prayers as my affirmations. And a lot of people will say that, you know, affirmations don't work, affirmations don't work, and they don't. So I think that affirmations are kind of bullshit. So what I learned in my recovery was that it's not just saying the words, it's that I had to get into a feeling of what those affirmations would feel like had I known that they had come true already. So I started to say my affirmations of I'm 100% recovered. I'm fully recovered. And I would start to think about if only for a minute, 60 seconds or whatever during meditation, what that would feel like for me if I got back to being who I was prior to the DP. So I use that as a tool and it worked for me. It honestly helped me to manifest recovery faster because there's people who have been stuck in DP and they've been in it for 10, 20 years. I only really suffered like the uh, severity of the the severe portion of it for maybe about three or four months, you know, but I stuck to it. I stuck to doing the affirmations. I stuck to getting into the feeling of what it felt like to be recovered. Um, I stuck to living as if I was already recovered. And that is what worked for me. So I think that was the very first thing I had to get my mindset into was living as if it already had happened. And and that, I mean, and that works in any kind of manifestation, really. You know, and I talk a lot about manifestation in general to, to friends and family, whomever, but that is the basis of how you start to manifest is getting into the feeling of what it is that you want to manifest.
0: Something else I love that you said was just like saying your prayer, saying your scriptures. Mm -hmm. And I know that like you do, I 100% agree, have to attach a feeling. I'm super into Abraham Hicks. I don't know if you've ever studied her work, but she talks about good feeling thoughts and one leads to another leads to another. And I do notice that when I stay in the feeling of what I truly desire, it does come. But I will say that if you're in an anxious period, I'm Catholic, like I was raised Catholic, saying that our father, even if I'm not like deeply thinking about all the words, It just takes my mind off of whatever I'm on, and I can just completely focus on that. So, I do think it is a really, really helpful tool to manage anxiety. It
1: definitely is a helpful tool. And I mean, and the more you say the prayer and if you, the more you uh, stay in repetition, there's a feeling that comes over you. You know what I mean? Like you can't deny that there isn't a, even if it's a subtle feeling of a little bit of calmness, there is a feeling the more you repeat that, um, that prayer, that there, there is a change happening in the
0: atmosphere. You know what I mean? I think having a spiritual practice is so important for creativity, for mental health. It gives you a great foundation to approach Mm -hmm. the world with. Mm-hmm. And I know you grew up very spiritual and very religious. And so I'm curious, like, how did you go about deciphering what were your parents' beliefs from what your beliefs were and what, you know, like, what was the the part of your childhood raising within the church that you wanted to keep? And like, how did you bring your own take on it?
1: My church upbringing was very traditional uh, and very strict. So... There was a whole lot of trial and error for me and a whole lot of rebellion for me <laughs> to figure out like exactly who I am in Christ and what I want to do and how I want to live for, quote unquote, like, lack of, for, uh, how I want to live a righteous life, um, for lack of better words. So I had to embrace who I am fully. And I also had to embrace all my mistakes and every everything. I had to embrace everything about me. And I'm still in the process of embracing all of that, but, and then embracing the fact that I'm one of those girls who's a progressive Pentecostal Christian. Yeah. I mean, I love Jesus, but I curse a, a lot, really. <laughs> I was want to say a little, but I curse a lot. You know what I mean? Or I, you know, I, Haven't mastered being this perfect Christian who even with premarital sex or anything that comes up, those things um, have become a personal choice for me. And it's all. And and I I think a lot of it has to do with doctrine um, and religion, religious rules. And I try Mm -hmm. to not focus on that anymore. So I've become more of a creating a relationship with God type of girl. So I don't focus on religion. I don't focus on the doctrine and the rules and the strict, I don't focus on that anymore. I focus solely on what is my, what is Latoya's relationship with God and how does he feel about me? And I know he loves me and I most certainly love him. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to do my best and whatever that best is for today in my prayers. And we're going to talk about my personal things and what i would like to happen in my life. And I would also like to c- cultivate this relationship where I'm forever safe and forever secure in in him. So that's really been what my, that's how I've gotten to the point of this has nothing to do with my parents. This has nothing to do with my upbringing. Yeah, they were very strict and they had, they had these rules. There's certain rules. I'm just not buying. I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there was times where I couldn't wear pants. We couldn't wear pants to church or, you know, we couldn't wear hoop earrings. And it was, you know, it was very strict like that growing up. And all of that is out the window for me, because that that has nothing to do with the relationship that you have with God. So I solely focus on the relationship I have with God in Christ. I've kind of come out of the shadows of being a PK and developing (laughs) a relationship.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think for me, because I love the tradition of Catholicism. Like I think like the mass is beautiful and I love the prayers and I love the saints, but a lot of the rules to me are absolute bullshit. And mm-hmm. like, I, I hate the fact that women can't be priests. I hate the way that they view gay people. Like mm-hmm. th- those things are not an in integrity with me. So what I do and what I think you're saying is like, take the good, take what makes sense to you, leave the la- the rest and really focus on your relationship with spirit. Like what's your relationship with God? What is your relationship with the higher being? All these the other stuff, a lot of it, you know, the rules that men made. And yeah, so.
1: absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that that also too is like, it's a distraction, you know, and I feel like we get so caught up on you know, what people are doing to us and what, what we, what is wrong and that should not be done, but it's a distraction because if we were all just focusing on the relationship that we have with God and how we can make ourselves better. And then in turn, when we make ourselves better, we're able to give more to other people so that they can make themselves better. Like that's the, the goal for me. And I think if we can all get on that path, it would be a little, it would be much better. You know what I mean? So I think that it's, I know that the rules in in Catholicism and in, in my independent council church for ourselves, same thing. There are certain organizations that don't allow women pastors. I actually have a, a woman pastor, but there are other churches who don't. And, you know, it's to me when we get hung up on the rules and we let the rules dictate how we develop our relationship with God and Christ, um, that's where we miss the mark. Because yeah. that is the distraction.
0: Yeah, it's almost like a false idol, honestly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So something I talk about a lot on the show is like, I think that there's like maybe a career purpose, right? Like maybe someone wants to be an actor or they want to be a writer, but then there's also an overarching purpose to life, like a thesis statement that guides everything you do, a filter for your life. Mm -hmm. If you had to say, what is your life purpose and why?
1: It's been such a journey trying to find out what my heart, my life's purpose is. (laughs) It's been so, it's been so, uh, it's been an interesting journey trying to figure it out. And I think I made the mistake of thinking that it was, I was trying to make it something extremely tangible. Like I can say, okay, this is it. I'm supposed to be a singer, you know? But I think that I've I've narrowed it down to my life's purpose is really supposed to just be about helping people and helping people to live fulfilled lives. And the way I've come to that is that I've had to learn how to live a fulfilled life myself. I'm still on the journey of living a fulfilled life, but I've been also given a platform and a lot of people have confided in me to help them to live fulfilled lives. And I think that's absolutely what my purpose is.
0: What's your advice for someone who's struggling to lock down whatever that thesis statement is for them? You know, I
1: think that this again. This is this comes with a lot of trial and error, a lot of prayer, a lot of meditation, just silence in the mind, and a lot of just writing down. You know what it is that you like to do. So, what do you like to do? Um, the way I got to the bottom of this, and I actually did it um, one in, in the next episode for my podcast, is that I was able to say, "Okay, I'm I used to sing, and I love singing. Why did I love singing? Because I love to be connected with the audience, and you know, I've always been a person who who's um, done public speaking or singing or been in performances or just wanted to be in entertainment. But when I got to the root of why I like to do it is because I like, to, I like the effect that people got when they got to see me perform. I like the connection that I made with the crowd. I like the connection that I make with people through the talents that I have. And so coming to that was when I was like, hmm, okay, I think it's more so about connection for me. You know, even I love being in a relationship and I really want to be in a relationship because I just love human connection. That is my drug, you know? Mm. So I figured, that, I figured out that it's really about me building these correct connections and building these relationships. So I think that when you're trying to figure out what it is that your purpose is, you need to start writing down your list of what do I love to do? What is it that I've done in my life that I felt the happiest starting from there? And what what was that? So say it's it's when you write. So someone says, I felt my happiest when I wrote this paper in college, and then I got an A on it. So if that's what it is, then you now go back to what What did that make you feel like? And why did it make you feel that way? And then you start to realize, maybe a person starts to realize that, you know, writing might be the perp- their purpose in life. Maybe writing beautiful poetry or writing stories to affect people, to bless people. You know, it's just, you. I'm just making this up, but that could be what it is. But to just start with the first question is, what have I done? What have I done in my life, my entire life? What's the one thing I can remember that I felt totally fulfilled and so happy when I did it? Starting from there, and then questioning: Okay, so how did this make me feel? Um, why did this make me feel like this? What was the outcome of that situation? And how can I do more of that? Why did I stop that? Did I did I continue to do this? Did I stop it? If I continue, does it still fulfill me? You know what I'm saying? So that's how I kind of like started to figure out where my purpose was and what it, what my purpose was and why I was here to do it.
0: Fantastic advice. And I love that the very thing that you figured out was your purpose was what you did, which you found the connections between everything. And then Mm -hmm. your purpose was how to, you know, live a purposeful life and, and help others do the same thing and find those connections in their own life. That's pretty powerful. With singing, is that something that you grew up wanting to do? Was that your passion when you were younger?
1: It was absolutely. Um, I used to, to be singing Whitney Houston to the top of my lungs in my room, so loud. Sometimes my mom, it would be bedtime. My mom would be like, "Shut up! Like, <laughs> shut up that noise!" But I absolutely love singing. Um, I recently got a chance to sing at a concert. Um, two weeks ago, and I was like, "Wow, I hadn't sung in so long," and I just felt amazing. Like, it just felt great, even though I was running on the stage and my skirt was stuck in my stockings. We could talk about that <laughs> later. <laughs> <laughs> but it also showed me like, oh, okay, girl, you're really getting through this anxiety thing. Cause I mean, I started sweating and I got nervous, but I got right through it and stayed and stuck with my song. Um, but it was a great fulfilling moment for me. And I just really love singing and I stopped pursuing it because the older I got, obviously in the industry, the older you get, it's just, it's just extremely hard. I try now to sing as much as I can in the church.
0: Is that something that is still a dream for you?
1: Um, I don't know that it's a dream anymore. It's something that if I was given the opportunity, I would do it. I definitely would. But I'm not I don't really I don't feel like that's a dream of mine anymore that I feel like is tangible for me. But ultimately, I mean, I don't know where God can take me. You know, maybe I can, I can, I'm creating a lane for myself with my podcast, so maybe I can start to express
0: myself through music through that way. You know what I mean? So I just don't know where it's gonna take me. At. I think it's interesting because you know when we grew up wanting to do something, I wanted to act. I grew up wanting to act so badly, and mm-hmm. when I moved here and life started taking me in a different direction, I started following the doors that were opening for me because acting was breaking my heart and I didn't have a healthy relationship with it. Mm-hmm. But I kind of had to talk little Lauren off the ledge and be like, hey, you're going to be okay. I know this isn't what we wanted to do originally, but this is a better opportunity. Did you have to do that at all with your inner child when you started going away from singing? And if so, how did you do it?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I, because I used to audition a lot, heavy, and it was so hard, especially when you would get callbacks and get callbacks and then get right so close And then they'd be like, yeah, we went with this person. That has got to be the worst form of rejection for me, in my opinion, because, you know, you just in your mind, you're like, I got this. When you really in your mind think you have it and you don't and it's snatched from right under you is what was starting. That was what was breaking my heart. Um, And I definitely had to talk myself off the ledge many a times, crying on the train, coming home from auditions. Mm -hmm. And I just was like, you know what? I really don't, I didn't want to feel like that anymore. And I really had to come to terms with, what is it that God really wants from my life? You know what I mean? And I think that he did give me this talent. He did give me this tool. Um, and I don't, I'm not a bad singer. And I know that for a fact, because whenever I go to church, they always ask me to sing. So maybe that is what my outlet is is f- for this voice. Maybe I use it. My, I use my voice for singing in church, and I use my voice for speaking in my professional life, you know? So I started to, as, as much as, like, the same as you, Lauren, like, I, you just started starting to, I had to go where I was make, able to make money. You know what I mean? Because that right. just wasn't it wasn't uh, an option for me to make money as a singer. Now I did make money as a singer as a background vocalist, but I will tell you that I never felt I never, and I'm saying this for the first time a lot. Like I just never felt fulfilled in it because I always felt like if I'm going to be singing, I would like to be the lead singer. You know what I mean? And I didn't. Yeah. I feel like that was just not a uh, uh, that just wasn't a good. A headspace for me to be in. So, you know, and I always found myself wanting to just wanting more as a background vocalist, but couldn't push through that door. So, yeah, I I definitely had to talk
0: myself off the ledge. And you're still using your voice. That's the thing. I mean, again, Mm -hmm. with the through lines, like you're using your voice to do public speaking, you're using your voice to do your podcast, you're using your voice on your social media, on your blog. It doesn't have to be so binary. Like it can be many things. Like life isn't just one thing, it's many things. And I think sometimes we get so fixated on a single point that we miss all these other opportunities. So it's really beautiful that you took stock of the dreams you found on the way to your dreams and opened yourself up to a bigger life than maybe singing ever would have brought you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. And, you know, and I don't know what God has in store for me in the future. It could be an opportunity to sing. It could be that he starts to put people in my path that are open to, um, you know, having me sing in their events or what have you. I don't know. I'm not closed off to it. I'm also not super attached to it in an unhealthy way. So there's no unhealthy attachment to it where it's causing me pain and strife and depression and sadness. I'm not attached to it like that anymore. And I think right. that, that that's a growth thing. And I think that that's, a, that's, a, that's me formulating my relationship with God is because we're not really supposed to have, we're not supposed to look at these things, even if, it's a, even if it's a talent, even if it's a goal, we're not supposed to idolize it in that manner. You know what I mean? And I think that I was able to release myself from idolizing those things and causing myself discomfort.
0: Right. Even mm-hmm. when you put your creativity on a pedestal, it can be real unhealthy. Absolutely. And you talk about being almost 30 and you you really I mean I I was blown away because you were so vulnerable about it and talked about how it scared you and how you felt like maybe you hadn't achieved what you wanted to. But my whole thing is the power of the late bloomer. And I believe that there's even more build up and profound ability to express when you have had a longer gestation period as a creative. Mm -hmm. And so I want to know what, you know, your future goals are and what your advice is for other late bloomers out there who are still figuring out their path, how to stay true to whatever their vision is and go forth knowing that they have more power because they waited longer.
1: I'm almost 40. I'm 39. I'll be celebrating my 40th birthday in November, which I'm super excited about. But it has been a struggle because we. This is a millennial-driven world, um, and everything is kind of to me. I feel like a lot of things, content-wise, industry-wise, just in general, are to the millennial first. And I feel like my era of we're like ex you know, like I, I've explained before, where um, we, you know, grew up, we were born in that analog era, and then we grew up in this digital, the beginning of it, we kind of gotten pushed by the wayside, and that was one of the reasons why I created Analog Girl, too, as well, for our community, but also, too, I, I get a whole bunch of younger folks, I get older, older folks, so it's just for everybody, but I specifically had done it for us, because it's easy for us to get caught up in this millennial driven environment and feel like we're less than, or feel like, you know, feel ashamed to say that I'm 39 years old. Like there's hesitant. I'm hesitant even now to say that on yours. Cause I'm like, people are probably going to be like, oh my gosh, she's so old. You know what I mean? Like, so I'm hesitant to say that because people have deemed us Like old, which I don't get. So you know, I my advice is that one is to ignore the bullshit. Like I have no patience for that shit anymore. Um, I have a friend who's younger than me; she's twenty seven. That's another thing. I always attract all these young kids. Well, not kids, young people. And you know, they they make these assess or, or or assumptions that you know we're so old, and this is old, and what you're doing is old, and I'm like, how does that work? Like, I don't get what the infatuation is with the word old. I don't get it. But I definitely have come to a point in my life where I'm just ignoring the bullshit because I'm seasoned a little bit. I do have a lot more experience. I thank God for the experience that I have. Uh, And this has helped me to be able to build what I'm building now for myself. Do I feel like I'm racing against time? Sometimes I do. I got to be honest. Like, I'm nervous about that. Like, is it too late for me? But then I start to read other people's stories of people who started, who didn't get, you know, who didn't catapult into their life until they were in their 50s or 60s. I pray that that's not my story. I pray that it happens sooner than later, but it did give me inspiration that I'm not the only one out here who is kind of a late bloomer and who's figuring it out. And I'm grateful that at this point I'm figuring it out, but I'm, I'm figuring it out at a time where I'm a lot more clearer mentally. I, I understand. What it is that I my body can go through physically, as far as anxiety and depression, I'm able to know exactly what those tools are that I need to use in order to cope. You know, so I'm thankful for those things, and I think that was probably just God preparing me, um, and that's why He's put me on this journey I'm on. So I say for people who are in their 30s and their late 30s and they're going into their 40s and maybe things aren't working out the way you think they are, it's all in God's timing, and you just have to be grateful for. The good and the bad that you're going through, and use that bad um, to be able to do the things that you want to do in the future. Use that bad to teach you those lessons of what you should do, what you shouldn't do next time around. You know, that's the kind of that's the kind of stance I've taken, um, moving into going into my almost forty term.
0: <laughs> Beautiful. And realizing sometimes rejection is protection like you said. If you had yeah. let's say when you first moved to New York, I don't know how old you were, but like let's say you were 24 and you were pursuing music and you had your big break. Who knows what would have happened to you with all the mental health things that you needed to go through and and move through and learn tools for. You didn't know it at that point. And yeah. so I think about that all the time. Like if I had gotten my big break in acting when I first moved out here, I would have been destroyed.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I was born and raised in New York, so it was this was our our um you know I'm born and raised from the Bronx actually, and and this was our way of life. Like everything was a rat race from what from the very from what I can remember from my very, like my teenage years, things were just always a rat race, like just always. And I feel like that about New York, like it's just a rat race. (laughs) And we're all trying to achieve this American dream. And especially for singers here in New York, especially in the hip hop scene, like it's just, everybody wants to be a rapper. Everybody wants to be a singer, you know, and, You are just dealing with a lot of pressure of, you know, we all want to be Jay-Z and Beyonce. Like, you know, what I mean, like we're just always dealing with that pressure. And yeah, like, it's just hard to it's hard not to succumb to that. But ultimately, it is like the the rejection that I have dealt with is hard for me to process. And I am still dealing with it to this day. But I do honestly believe that it is making me the person that I'm becoming right now. Strong. Mm hmm.
0: You speak about New York and how it is a rat race and a lot of creative people wanna move there but are afraid. What's your advice for someone who's listening right now who is just dying to move to New York?
1: Just do it. Really seriously honestly and truly just do it. I'm gonna tell you I've been homeless twice in my life and I have no fear anymore. Like after being like, once you've like hit rock bottom to that point where you just don't have a home and you're sleeping on couches and all of that, like, I just don't have any fear of that anymore because I know that that's not a, that's a temporary thing. I'm not saying people gonna come here and be homeless, but what I'm saying is like, you just have to develop a fearless attitude um, when it comes to starting to take matters into your own hands about how you want your life to go. How bad do you want it? What is it that you want? How bad do you want it? Are you... Are you going to allow fear to stand in the way of you coming here to New York and achieving your dreams? What's to say that as soon as you get here, you never know. You might bump into somebody when you come out of the plane or come out of the plane in the airport and that might be able to help you and get you into the boardrooms, get you into the meetings. You just never know until you do it. And I say, come out here, be ambitious, be fearless. Um, and then, and work through the fears that you have and network and talk and make friends and do what you got to do to, uh, to attain the goals that you want to attain. But uh, like I said, I just think you should just do it. I think the more we sit and we think, and we, we ponder on what we're trying to do, the more we waste time. You know what I mean? So just get up and do it. That's, that's exactly how I um, handled the DP too, as well. I was scared to come out of my house. I was even scared to come out of my bedroom. (laughs) Because my living room seemed so unfamiliar to me. And so one day I was like, I'm just gonna do it. Cause like, what is going to happen if I do it? So I just got up by my bed and I walked into the living room and I'm like, this is fine. Like, Latoya, you're totally fine. This is a, you're a, like, this is just anxiety. You're fine. You've just got to keep overcoming these fears. And it was a strange fear to have, but these are the kind of fears that happen with certain people. And even me going outside. So I said, well, I'm gonna now, I'm gonna take it a step further. I'm gonna go outside now. You know, I'm just gonna do it. Because what's gonna happen if I don't? You know What's going to happen if I don't do it? What's going to happen if I don't do it is that I'm just going to be stuck in here for the rest of my life, not doing anything afraid of the world. And I don't want that for myself. And I think that's the same thing. That's the same attitude we should take if you want to move to New York, because what's going to happen if you don't move to New York? You'll still be in that same circumstance of wishing and wishing um, that you would have moved and would have, could have, should have. And what it could have, should have would drive you crazy.
0: Ugh they're the
1: worst. It will will drive you crazy.
0: I love that tactic in general for dealing with fear. It's like take baby steps. So if you're afraid Mm -hmm. of some big thing, what's the first step you need to take? Take that step, then take the next one foot in front of the other. And then it takes fear out of the driver's seat and puts you in charge of your own life.
1: The worst part about
0: fear is thinking about the thing you're afraid of. If you can actually just face it, then it makes you the one that's in control versus your fear holding you by the throat.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And even if you if you want to move to New York and you're scared to take that whole leap to just pack up all your things, um, I mean, if 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 your funds allow you Jump on a plane, hop on a train, do whatever you have to do to maybe come to New York for a week, come to New York for a weekend so you can get a feel of it. Start to, you know, set set up meetings before you get here. Start to network with people on LinkedIn and see how you can get in with people and have a coffee and start talking with them. Take baby steps like that too as well. Um, You don't have to just up and move everything, you know, without a plan. Have a plan for it, you know?
0: So it works Definitely. out. Definitely. Mm-hmm. And, to, and that having a plan takes the anxiety out of it. At exactly. least, exactly.
1: Yeah, having a plan, just like routines, <laughs> take take the anxiety away. Mm-hmm.
0: So let's talk about the Analog Girl podcast. I love what you're doing with it. I want to know when the thought came into your head and how you went from thought to execution with the podcast.
1: I don't really have anything deep to say, other than one day I was in. <laughs> Well, actually, I was in talks with a podcast network to do um, a podcast. And it was the typical um, talking about current events, kind of ratchet style podcast, if you will. And so I I was developing it. I went in to do my pilot. But unfortunately, I went, that was when the whole depersonalization started. And I was just completely out of it. And I lost that opportunity. So I still had this desire to do the podcast, even through the DP, um, and one day I just woke up and was like, "Well, even though that fell through, I'm still gonna try to do this on my own, and I'm just gonna post this on SoundCloud, and I'm just gonna push this out and see what happens." Um, and that's what I did. I saw I, the first episode is so raw. I had no intro on there. I think I was even crying. I was explaining um, what I was going through, and you can just tell the you can you can feel the rawness actually <laughs> in the podcast of where I was and, and the darkness that I was in at. that point so I just literally just spit everything out on the mic and I just posted it that's how Analog Girl came about it was always going to be called Analog Girl prior to when I was pitching to the other network and doing the pilot so I just kept those names but um, the whole becoming an anxiety advocate started after the DP and that's when I just sat on the mic and was like I'm just going to push this story out here and see where it goes
0: and what's your dream with the podcast, like ideal world? Where does Analog Girl take you? I mean, I hope it just takes it internationally. I hope it takes it to
1: any household that needs help with recovering from anxiety. You know, like I, I just, I that's what I really hope. I hope it, it goes to the right people who really need help, who want someone who can who they can relate to, who talks to them real about it, you know, and who's not candy coating this shit and just calling it, you know, whatever, or just being on trend. Because, you know, anxiety has become a whole trend thing now. Like, I don't talk to people about anxiety as if it's a trend. I talk real life shit. You know what I mean? Like, this is shit that is bugging us out. You, you, you get all types of anxiety. So I really hope that I reach people in all places of the world who are going through this kind of stuff. Up. so that 's really where i I can i see it going i 'm hoping I know it it has reached homes internationally, and I just hope that it reaches more
0: so you 've had a lot that you 've gone through and that you 've survived and you 've turned your pain into purpose several times there 's mm-hmm. a lot of people we 've had really painful things happen to us in our past maybe we 've endured abuse, and we 're living with that maybe we 've gone through a really painful breakup. The thing is, a lot of times when we go through those things, we take it to mean something about who we are instead of realizing those were just things that happened to us and it wasn't Mm -hmm. our fault. Mm -hmm. How have you gone about, I mean, really saying like this abuse happened to me, but that's not who I am? And what's your advice to someone else on how to do the same thing?
1: Through my therapy and my therapist, who I love, Dr. Melanie Stiles, she's like the dopest therapist I've ever had. Um, she has taught me that when life happens to you, life doesn't happen to your spirit, it happens to your soul and how it really it affects your spirit, but it really happens to your soul. So you have to do a lot of deep soul searching to figure out, you know, what it is that the trauma is, what trauma has affected your soul, you know what I mean because in in essence, we all and and when we're listening to podcasts like this and when we're seeking therapy and stuff like that, that means that it's in our spirit to survive, it's in our spirit to not be oppressed it's in our spirit to push through, you know what I mean, and it's just that we're dealing with situations traumatic situations that have affected our soul, so I believe that when we get to the crux of the matter and deep rooted um issues. Um, and what has affected our soul, that's when we'll be able to really heal and, and push forward um, to live this, uh, this wonderful, prosperous,
0: purposeful life. What's the difference between your spirit and your soul?
1: Now, so the spirit is, is your, I I always get a little bit like tongue tied with it because I try to explain it and I hope it makes sense. So the spirit is really like who you are in essence, um, what your, you know, what you, what you believe, what you want, your values, that's where your spirit comes and Then your soul is the feelings that you have, your emotions, your will, that kind of stuff that's Mm -hmm. in your soul. Um, So. I think that that's the difference between it, and that's why um when it comes to emotions and things like that, and that's why your soul gets affected as so much more than when your spirit would get affected when things happen
0: to you. Ah, okay, that's a good delineation mm-hmm. so my final question, I want to go back to little Latoya, and I believe creativity is intricately connected to the inner child. I'm wondering if you your grown self and little Latoya were standing in the same room and looking at each other. What do you think she would say to you and why? Um, she would probably be like about
1: time, girl, <laughs> like it's about time. I've been trying to tell you like, this is what I've been trying to, I've been trying to relay this message to you for a long time that we need to be in tune. We need to get in tune with each other and we need to heal. And so that we can be able to do what God has created us to do. So I really believe that, um, that, that there is a sense of relief with the young, the young Latoya, um, and that she is definitely speaking to me and of, and she's happy. You know what I mean? Um, she's happy that we are found, we've found our outlets and we found ways we've found the definition to what has been going on with us all throughout these years. So I think that's what she would be saying to me. And she's definitely like, hell yeah, girl, we got this. (laughs) Like we got this. Yeah. I think that's what's going on.
0: And what would you say to her and why? For me, I'm very apologetic
1: to her because the adult me acted has acted irrational a lot of times due to the trauma and, and things that I've gone through and fear of rejection. So I'm for me, I'm always apologizing and just always consoling and always letting the I'm always letting the young Latoya know that she is valuable, she is enough, she's beautiful. So I'm always um reiterating that and and giving her love so that's really how i deal with the little girl in me all the time.
0: Hmm. I love it. Well, Latoya, thank mm-hmm. you so much and thank you for the beautiful work you're doing out in the world to destigmatize mental health and mm-hmm. really open the conversation up to let us know we're not alone and we are enough and that if you do the work, you can come to a place of healing and peace.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. This was great.
0: Thank you so much for listening. And to my guest, Analog Girl, aka LaToya D. You can find LaToya on Instagram at the.analoggirl, her website, theanaloggirl.com, and listen to her podcast, Analog Girl Podcast, wherever good podcasts are found. Thanks to Liz Full for the show's original music. You can follow her at Liz Full. And again, thank you. If you enjoy the show, the best way to share that is by rating, reviewing, and subscribing on Apple Podcasts and following on Spotify. If you really like it and you want to make my day, take a screenshot of yourself listening and share it to your Instagram stories. Tag at Unleash Your Inner Creative and at Lauren LaGrasso and I will repost it. My wish for you this week is that you take time to feel what it would be like to live your ideal life. Focus on those good feeling thoughts that's what's going to bring that life to you. I believe in you. Talk next week.